cool. Well, I'll take the watch off. I've never gone over two hours, though, so I don't know why I'd bother with that. But <laughs> just good to have a laugh, isn't it? I've just been thinking the last few weeks, we don't often laugh enough, do we? I reckon. We should laugh more. Your laughter is like good medicine, the Bible says. No. Did you hear about the preacher who fell asleep during his own preaching? His saving grace was he woke up before the congregation. But uh, enough about Russ. We're here to look at the word today. I've been waiting a long time for that, Russ. A long time. Hallelujah. It's good to have a laugh at someone else's expense, but that's the lowest form of humour I've heard. And uh, I'm well practised at it. But anyway... On the 25th of September, Saturday, 9 to 3, Margaret and myself, we're going to be hosting a course, a spiritual retreat called Living Free. And it very much flows on from the theme that Kate spoke about last week, where she talked about how our souls need to be in health, our souls need to rest. And the Bible says in 3 John that uh, the writer there prays that they would be in good health and that their souls would be doing well. They would, literally, their souls would be prospering. And uh, when she shared on that, it just reminded me again how important it is that our soul is prospering. Our soul speaks of our mind, our emotions, and our will. And so at this seminar, we're going to be, well, it's not really a seminar, it's more of a spiritual retreat, maybe a day spa. If you pay money, we'll make it a day spa as well. But, uh, and there's an ocean view, so you can look at the ocean. So if you've got nothing else from the day, you'd actually go, oh, I feel better already. Yeah, forget what Michael's saying, I'm just going to look out at the ocean. But it is going to be a great day because our souls need to be healthy. And we see there in 3 John that the writer there was concerned about the souls of those people, that they were in good health, but not only good health, but they were prospering, that our mind, our emotions, and our wills are prospering. In this life, if you read the stats in society today, anxiety is on the rise, epidemic proportions, stress, depression, all different levels of just you know, overload that people are facing today. And yet Jesus has the answer, doesn't he? He has the answer. What date was that again? 25th September. You're booked in already, Russ. I booked I know, you in. I know. Yeah. Is it an all-day thing? Sorry, 9 till 3. 9 till 3. Greens Beach. So what it is, there is a folder over here with you can put your name down and uh, with the address and uh, we'll be in contact with you. Leave us your email. In Philippians 4.6, it says, Do not be anxious about... Some things, anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus is the answer, isn't he? If you're anxious, Jesus has the answer, not just a maybe or wishful thought. He literally has the answers for everything that we go through. And so during this spiritual retreat, we're going to be looking at what Jesus has to say, because Jesus is the answer. We're going to be looking to him at how he desires to guide us from out of and into the kingdom. We're looking at kingdom relationships. I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus, no one discipled me. And two weeks later, after I gave my life to Jesus, I found myself in a club. And it was dark. People were dancing. People were drunk. People were carousing. And I was sitting there with my mates. And I had this awareness still of the Sunday before when I'd been to church and how I'd given my life to Jesus. And I was sitting there thinking, I don't know if I fit here anymore. You know, the moves don't seem to, to come like they used to. They actually didn't. They never came. But, uh, and I was just sitting there, and the Holy Spirit said to me, you don't belong here anymore. You don't belong here. It was so clear. It was the first time I'd heard the Holy Spirit. I thought, I don't belong here. Guys, I'm out of here. And I left, and I started to see how the Holy Spirit wants to take us on a journey of relationship with him. 
So living free is about allowing Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit, allowing his word to direct us out of stuff. What stuff do you want to walk out of? Might be anxiety, might be depression, might be stress. Well, Jesus can help you to walk out of your stuff. Amen? So I'd encourage you to come along. You know, some things he does really quickly, doesn't it? Have you found that if you've given your life to Jesus? I remember I led a guy to Jesus many years ago, and he was an alcoholic, only a young guy, and the doctor told him he only had a few years to live because he drank a cask a day. When he gave his life to Jesus, he was instantly delivered of alcoholism. Then a few weeks later, he came to me and said, Michael, I was delivered of alcoholism. I can't believe I just don't want to drink anymore. But he said, I can't give up smoking. I said, well, smoking won't send you to hell, but it's an addiction you still need to overcome. He said, I can't overcome it. Why is that? And I shared with him, the Bible talks about that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, anybody like perseverance here? <laughs> Must finish its course so that you might be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And I shared with him, some things God delivers you instantly of, and some things he wants you to persevere in and work through to overcome, to trust in him. And as we persevere in him, he will help us to overcome. So no matter, no matter what's going on in your life, if you're struggling with stress, anxiety, depression, addictive behaviours, Jesus is the answer. And he will help lead you out of that stuff so that your soul can be healthy, because that's his goal, that your soul becomes increasingly healthy. Okay, that's it for the promotion of living free. Hallelujah. And I'll get myself free before I run the course. Help me, Jesus. We've got a boy who comes to our respite centre. We run a respite centre for children with disability, and one of them, he's not a Christian, but when he stresses out, he goes, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. And so me and Margaret now, if we're going through something, we go, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. It's our little saying now. This boy is so funny. Anyway, kingdom relationships. You know, what we think is so important, isn't it? What we think is so important. So let's pray before I come to the word. Heavenly Father, thank you today. Thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It shows us upon whom we stand, and that's Christ Jesus, the rock of our salvation, the one who will never move, will never change. And we thank you. Your word is also a light to our path. It shows us the direction that you desire us to head in, and we thank you for that. You don't just leave us as we are. You take us forward into relationship, forward into increasingly knowing you, being aware of you, living for you, and living this life out in the light. You took us out of darkness, and you brought us into your glorious light. And I pray, as we hear your word, you will... Do something in our lives. Amen. A guy called A.W. Tozer, he's been quoted here quite a bit, he says this, what comes to mind, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Probably a bit deep for a Sunday morning and it's still early, but what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What he meant is this, when you think about God, do you think high thoughts or low thoughts? Do you think high thoughts as in the God of the immeasurably more than all I can ask or imagine, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who can't be contained in the literal heavens? Or when you think of God, do you think of the God who, yeah, I know he loves me. Well, well I hope so. I think so. I felt it yesterday. I'm not sure today. Or the God who gives other people breakthroughs, but I don't know if he really wants to give me a breakthrough. Or the God who, he seems to bless them, but does he want to bless me? Is that his heart towards me? And so we live our lives out very much by the thoughts that we have. High thoughts or low thoughts of God. And literally, you can be worshipping a God with a small g. Not really the true image of who God is. We saw that with the Israelites in the Old Testament. They came out of Egypt. When you consider what they saw of God, they saw the waters parted. 
They saw, you know, the, the cloud by day, the fire by night, God's incredible provision. And as soon as Moses was gone for a few days up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, what did they do? They got all the gold together and made a golden calf, an image, didn't they? They wanted to have an image, but the image wasn't true of who God was. And one of the Ten Commandments was, do not make any graven image. Because our image will never be able to, to have any capacity to in any way adequately describe who he is. Because he's so amazing. And so the way we think is so important in kingdom relationships. I was speaking with a guy oh, a while back and um, I was telling him at Redemption here we have small groups. We meet in small groups. And uh, different people take it in turns to share at the Bible study. They might read the scripture, share a testimony. He goes, oh wow, you do that. He goes, I could never do that. I could never. I said, why is that? He goes, because I was a really bad person before I gave my life to Jesus. I was like really bad. Everyone knows I was bad. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. But you've given your life to Jesus, haven't you? He said, yeah, I have. I've given my life to Jesus. So I said, I- I've got it. I know what you are. I said, in the Bible, I was joking with him. I said, you're called a second class citizen. I'm a first class because Jesus really loves me and has forgiven me. And my sin is cast as far as the east is from the west. And if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But you must be the second class citizen because that hasn't really happened for you fully. Guess what? And that got up his nose. I'm not a second class citizen. Well, I said, you need to start to believe it then. If Jesus has forgiven you, he's forgiven you. Amen? The past is the past. Live in the present and into the future in what Jesus has done. But can you see, he could have gone his whole life as a second class citizen. I could never share my faith. They might know my past. I could never share a devotion in a Bible study because they might judge me because they know who I was. So it doesn't matter. That's the grace of God, isn't it? That's the goodness of God. As if some of us come with our good works and our worthiness and say, God, I've got my 25% or my 30%. You're going to give me your 70% and that's going to make righteousness and we're all good. It doesn't work that way, does it? Anything I've done that's good is like filthy rags to him. We've got to get the revelation. It's everything that he's done for us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Nothing that I've done. And he needed that revelation. I believe we need our minds blown to who Jesus is more and more. I think we'll be shocked when we get to heaven and go, wow, he's actually like that. I saw him like this and this was amazing, but he's actually like that. A story that always amazes me is the story of the prodigal son. As we think about our minds, as we think what Tozer said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What are you living out? What image are you living out? In the story of the prodigal son, you have the son who takes a third of the father's inheritance. I tried that with my parents years ago. It didn't work. (laughs) And uh, probably because I used to crash their cars, trash their house, and do many other bad things, so I probably used up the inheritance in other ways when I was younger, before Jesus, that is. And, uh, but the story of the prodigal son, he goes to his father, takes a third of the inheritance, goes off, he goes off drinking, gambling, whoring. He's not a great son, is he? Blows it all, has no money, so he starts to realise, how am I going to survive? So he finds a pig farmer, starts eating pig food. Then he comes to his senses, the Bible says, and thinks, wow, even the servants back at my father's house live better than I do. I'll just go back and be a servant in the house. Because he says, I'm not worthy to be called a son. Just like that guy who didn't believe he'd been fully forgiven, the second-class citizen. I'm not worthy to be called your son, the prodigal son says. But meanwhile, it says, the father was continually watching and waiting for the son to return. Isn't that amazing? Because this isn't just a human story. This is a picture that God is wanting to give the church of himself. He is continually watching and waiting while the son is drinking, whoring, gambling, blowing his money 
The father is watching and waiting. And when the father sees the son return, it says he runs towards the son, embraces him. And as the son is trying to get his confession out, he's hugging him. He's embracing him. He's putting a ring on his finger and a cloak on his shoulders, all signs of sonship and a sense of belonging. He says, let's celebrate. My son who was lost is now found. Who would think the father would think that way? Would you or I? I don't think so. Oh, my son's back. Yeah, okay, come on in. Let's have a chat. You know, it, it would be quite serious. I've had those sort of chats before with one of my kids anyway. And uh, anyway. But can you see how our thinking can be so different to his thinking? But that's what makes the journey of relationship, kingdom relationship with him, so exciting because we're always learning more about who he is. How he thinks, how he sees. Wow, he thinks that way, not that way. He loves me this amount. And actually, I still don't grasp fully how much the width, the depth, the height of his love is for us. It's amazing, isn't it? I was in a church many years ago where this guy walked in before it was was trendy to be transgender. And um, he was a guy, he had, um, he didn't make a very good woman because he didn't shave very well. And so he stood out and he came in early and he sat near the front and this old lady comes to me and she comes along and she then looks at me and she goes, who's that? And I said, oh, I just love him, don't worry about it. Anyway, that morning two people came in late to the service and uh, there was two prophetic words and they hadn't seen this guy who'd come in and both words were about loving the unlovable. And that guy over a period of months actually became a man again. He realised the deception of his life and he became a man and started to prosper and thrive in the church. But it just shows, you know, we can judge, we can see, we can go, ah! But how does God see? How does God think? How does God look? How does God care? More beyond we could ever imagine. What image are you worshipping? What image are you worshipping? Kingdom relationships. How can we know and experience him more? I don't know if you like watching a lot of TV. I'm a bit of an addict to TV, actually. I'll probably get set free of that on the 25th, I think, of... (laughs) On Saturday, probably at the 11 o'clock session, I'll deal with addiction to TV. But uh, in years gone by, when I've had addiction to TV, I used to pray that the TV would blow up so that uh, I wouldn't watch it. And it did. One day I got this magnificent TV, second hand, big speakers on the side. It was before the big screens, but it was big already. You know, it took three people to lift it into the house. And, and then I was watching it so much, and the Holy Spirit convicted me, you watch TV too much. I said, okay, you don't like it, blow it up. With an hour, boom, the thing went. I thought, oh, Lord. <laughs> He doesn't want me to watch TV. But I like this TV I've got right now, Lord, because it's a really nice flat screen, really big, and please, I won't watch it so much if you won't blow it up. (laughs) One of the shows I like watching on TV is about prospectors finding gold or gems or rubies. I love it when they just find a little nugget and they get addicted. They spend their lives in the outback in 40 degrees. I've been in the outback. It's so hot. It's so horrible. But they'll spend every holiday there searching for gold, searching for gems, searching for rubies. And uh, they'll just do whatever it takes to find those, those precious stones. But it often challenges me, how am I addicted to Jesus? Because Jesus is the pearl of great price, isn't he? He's the one we should be willing to sell everything for and follow him. So I look at their addiction to finding gold, finding gems. But when you think about it, if I came here this morning, say I was addicted to finding gold and gems and rubies, and I brought a trailer load in here this morning, And I said to you, there's millions of dollars worth of gold and gems and rubies, and you can take as much as you want this morning. Would you come and grab some? I think you would, wouldn't you? You would. You'd have to fight over these guys first. But they're getting theirs to give to missions. Remember that. They're getting 
They're going to give to missions first. They're not thinking of themselves. <laughs> missions first, then the Aston Martin. That's my thoughts on the whole thing. But if you were given that amount of gold and gems and rubies, it would change your life, wouldn't it? You could buy the new house, the new car, go on the holiday, pay your debts, give to missions, all those things you might do. I'm sure you'd put it on Twitter, Facebook. You'd tell your friends, this is amazing, this is redemption. They bring trailer loads of gold and gems to church and they give it away. And you can take as much as you want. It would change your life, wouldn't it? Oh, no. Okay, then. It would change my life. It would change our lives. It would do something amazing, wouldn't it? But if you ever thought, and this is what I'll focus on this morning, is the wisdom of God. The Bible says in Proverbs 8, I think it is, that wisdom is more precious than rubies, more costly than gold. Nothing you desire compares to her. Have you ever thought about that? Wisdom is more precious than... Imagine yourself, you're, you're diving in there. Steve's in there, hands and all, but you're fighting him back. You're grabbing this stuff, okay, because you want to buy that, whatever it might be. But wisdom is more precious than rubies, more costly than gold. Nothing you desire compares to her. Have you ever seen the value of wisdom before? The preciousness of it, how important it is. When I first read that, I thought, wow, this is how my mind thinks. If I get a scripture or I read something, I like it when I pray that the Holy Spirit will take me on a journey to unfold his word, to give me, you know, scripture interprets scripture, and you get a bigger, bigger picture of what God is saying. And so I got that word, oh, wisdom. Wow, it's more important than all of that. And I can desire a lot. I don't know how much your desire spectrum is, is at, but I can desire a lot. But when you think wisdom is more precious than rubies, more costly than gold, nothing you desire compares to her. How much do you desire wisdom? How much do you desire it? It's more precious. Let's look now to Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. This is our text this morning, Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. After I got that, I just felt led to Proverbs 24 here, 3 and 4, where it tells us, By wisdom a house is built. And through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasure. So I've seen that wisdom now is more precious than anything I could desire. Gold, jewelry, you know, whatever it might be. Nothing I could desire. Fame, fortune. Wisdom is more important. And now it tells me that wisdom builds my house. Sorry, three and four. Yeah, that's great. Wisdom builds your house. House is a metaphor for you. Wisdom builds you. Have you ever started to think that wisdom is really important in building your house. I wish I had the wisdom I do today back when I was younger. How many times have you said that? The wisdom we have. Wisdom is so important. Wisdom builds your house. And through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful things. God wants to expand us. He wants to enlarge how we see him, how we live for him. In him, we live and move and have our being. And wisdom literally will build your house. Then I started to think, okay, if wisdom builds the house and it's more precious than rubies, more costly than gold, a silly question, how do I get wisdom? What is wisdom? Then I looked some more in Scripture and the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, I've got a starting point now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear, what could fear be? That's Psalm 111 verse 10. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear can't be something where I'm scared of God, can it? Because the Bible says his perfect love drives out all fear, so it can't be that. And I see today a real spectrum 
in, in churches where you know, there's either some people are really fearful of God, it's all about the fear of God, as in they're fearful even to approach God. And that can't be true because the Bible says we can boldly approach his throne of grace and find help in our time of need. For some, it's treating Jesus really like glibly and really casually. Oh, he's my mate. You know, if, if Russ was Jesus this morning, okay, and it's not a big stretch, is it? Except Jesus wasn't American because we know he was English. And, uh, <laughs> but I uh, just thought I'd clear that up this morning in case you're wondering. But if, if Russ was Jesus, you know, be high five Jesus. He's my mate, you know. Whoa, see you're awake now. That's good. We can treat him in many different ways, either casually or fearfully. But biblically, how should we relate to Jesus? If the fear of the Lord, which is, comes out of wisdom, builds the house, builds you, what is the fear of the Lord? I believe the fear of the Lord is the awe, reverence, and wonder of God. The awe, the reverence, and the wonder of God. The awe of God speaks of he's mighty, isn't he? You know, a few weeks ago we heard a message about he can't be contained in the highest heavens. He's incredibly, his bigness is beyond imagination. He's omnipotent. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's on, what's the other one? Omnipotent? Omniscient. Omniscient. Knows everything. Omnipotent, all-powerful. There's one more. What's it? Omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. The awe of God. What builds you as a person, if you want to be a person that's built his house by wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord, we need to increasingly be in awe of him, in awe of him. He's mighty. He's mighty to save. The next part of that is reverence. He's holy. When we look to Jesus, you know, is he the high five Jesus? Is he the fearful, fearful of him? I believe not. I believe he's a holy God who desires to be reverenced. And how we can see a picture of what that looks like is look to heaven. How is he worshipped in heaven? The Bible says the four living creatures and the 24 elders bow before him day and night, crying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is filled with your glory. The holiness of God. The wonder of God speaks about that he's knowable. And he is knowable, isn't he? We all know if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know him to some degree. He's knowable yet unfathomable, isn't he? We know him in part, yet he's also unfathomable. But this is a God who wants to be worshipped in reverence, awe and wonder. And I believe when we consider the importance of wisdom, more precious than rubies, more costly than gold, and that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and wisdom builds your house, which is you, as we live a life of awe, reverence and wonder of God, your life will be built. And it's interesting, in Proverbs 24, it goes on and says there, by wisdom your house is built, and through knowledge... Knowledge there, we often get confused because knowledge today, universities, understanding, going to class, lectures, comes out of the Greeks, Greek philosophy. They were very much understanding things, you know, philosophy and in your mind and, and all that sort of thing. But where it speaks about to know him here, it literally means to know him by experience. He wants you to actually know him, to experience him. So when I'm anxious, I can pray, Lord, thank you that I do not have to be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, I present my request to you. And the peace of God, which is supernatural, it literally means that I can be going through the same rubbish that day, but I'm in a good headspace. My mind, my emotions, and my will are in a good space because it's supernatural. It's above the situation that you're in. I couldn't imagine not being a Christian today. The stuff people go through that they have to try and go through themselves. 
I was uh, ministering to, not ministering, I was working for an organisation uh, with children with disability, and this, this guy, he was an older child, older, and one of his clients had taught him to hum the Buddhist hums, you know the chants? And so he sat there, and I wasn't allowed to stop him this morning when he started it, and so he started doing the chants. And so I went, and he goes, what are you doing? I said, oh, that's how stupid it is. Has that helped you? No, he goes, but I got told I've got to do that, and it will help me. I said, oh, listen, let me put something else on YouTube. And so we played some Christian music. Next minute, he's back. He's like, he goes, wow, because this is good. I said, yeah, don't worry with the uh, uh, uh. Anyway, I didn't realize. Next day, his other caseworker comes in, sits down to do the Buddhist chants, and the, Buddhist, the guy they're doing is, you know, uh, and he goes, uh, uh. <laughs> I didn't last long at that job. I don't know why. Probably why I had to start my own business. <laughs> I'm the only one who will employ myself. And even my wife wants to sack me at times. But, uh, but uh, anyway, knowledge, the knowledge of him, experience him. You know, and a lot of people today, they come to Christ. They open that first door of salvation, receive him as Lord and Saviour. Revelation talks about he comes and knocks on your door and you receive him, you acknowledge he's Lord and Saviour. He died on the cross for you. He shed his blood for you. But so often we don't move on from there. And we see in Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, if we have it back up again, it says, By wisdom a house is built through knowledge or the experience of him, your rooms, plural, are filled with rare and beautiful treasure. Your rooms, plural, are filled with rare and beautiful treasure. I really had a sense today as I was praying for this meeting that one of the things he wanted to do is this, is sometimes I believe as Christians we, we come to know him as Lord and Saviour and we start going to church, but it's like we stay in the same room. Can you imagine if, you know, when you get to heaven and you get there and it's like you've been in this one foyer and then you look around and he goes, I actually gave you a palace. And you go, I'm just in this one room. And sometimes it's like that, I think, for sometimes for Christians. I've met Christians who would say they've been a Christian 40, 50 years, yet they don't want to talk about Jesus. Or it's just like, yeah, that was then, I, you know, I just live my life now. As if it was a room, a compartment. But here it says that your rooms, plural, will be filled with rare and beautiful treasure. There's always more of Jesus. When I first gave my life to Jesus, they, were, they weren't convinced, actually, for many months in the church that I'd given my life to Jesus, and apparently had to have special meetings even to decide whether I should stay in the church. But um, I, I, anyway, I wasn't that bad. But um, Yeah, I was. I was really bad. And uh, another time, I'll tell you some funny stories I used to do in church life. Um, oh, dear. I've lost my train of thought now. Um, sometimes we stay in the same room. But I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, people were shocked. Why is he giving life to Jesus? Is it real? Is it true? Is he just mucking around? Is he, does it just like a girl in the church? He's trying to put on a good show. What is really going on for this guy? And then I got baptized in water. And that was a really amazing experience to get baptized in water and to sense that I was immersed in him and raised with him, you know. And now I'm you know, dead to self, alive to Christ, all of that. And then I started seeing people in the church. They would be speaking in tongues and... Uh, I thought, what is that? That's a really weird thing. But there was a bit of a revival going on at the time. And I used to stand behind people when they'd sing in tongues. And I'd go, who stole my Honda? Who stole my Honda? And they used to look at this guy. What's he up to? But eventually, the Spirit of God got hold of me. And I said to this guy, can I, I want to receive this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want tongues. This sounds amazing. People are prophesying and they're praying for the sick and there's manifestations of the Spirit. These are rooms I hadn't entered into as yet, experiences I hadn't known. And so he prayed for me and I was baptised in the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, went home that night and I spent the whole night just like burning. I just felt his burn. It was weird. I just knew something had gone on. And then after 
a couple of months, I said to my mate, this tongues thing, it's like, it's okay, but mine's really jilted. It's like this one tongue. Have you ever been around people who just have one weird noise they make? No, you haven't, anyway. But it really frustrated me, and so I said to my friend, I really want more. I want more of God, and I feel frustrated, and this tongue I've got is always the same. And here's people singing in the Spirit, getting lost in God. I'm just not there. I want, more. I want to get into that room. I, I'm, this room's good, but I want that room. So my mate, he was a bit crazy. He said to me, let's go to Cradle Mountain. Let's walk, climb mountains, and fast, and pray for three days. So I went to work that day, and I had a really physical job. Didn't drink, didn't eat. Drove to Cradle Mountain. I forgot my headlamp. He had his. Walked into Scott Kilwood Hut. Anyone been into Scott Kilwood Hut? Yep. It's not that hard to walk three hours, but at night, when you can't see a thing, it's really, really long and frustrating. Got in there, and I said, I just really want a breakthrough, but I'm just now knackered. Is this just stupid, what we've done? Like, I've got all my feet are swollen and bruised. This is just stupid. He said, now nah, press into God, brother, press into God. Then I looked up on the wall, and there was this emergency um, cabinet with glass you had to break to get the tin of baked beans that was going rusty on the top <laughs> if you were starving. And I looked at it and it looked like a chicken dinner. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. I want this tin of baked beans. You know, the funny thing is I still love baked beans. I don't know what it is. I love baked beans. But I didn't. And then the next day he climbed a mountain. I climbed a mountain. Actually, I left him for a time because I was so angry that I was even doing this stupid exercise with him. And I was so hungry. Anyway, went back that night to the hut we're praying. I was looking at that thing. Oh, I want to smash that. I want that baked beans. I'm going to rip that thing off with my teeth and eat those baked beans. And then I said to God, God, I've come here because I want you more. I want you more in my life than I want baked beans. I want to, I want to step into this new experience with you. I want to be like those people who sing and dance and prophesy and the spirit moves and people are blessed. I want, I want to get into that room. And I started to pray. And you know what? It was like streams of living water flooded through my being. And I was just singing in the spirit. And I can't even sing. And I was just singing in the spirit. And God was doing this stuff in me. And it changed my life. And it made me realize, you know, there's always more of God. What room are you in this morning? Where are you at in your Christian walk? Have you settled down? It's interesting. When you look at the story, the closest parallel in the Old Testament to the new of entering the kingdom is the Israelites entering the promised land. It's interesting, there was a group of people, part of the Israelite tribes, who decided that once they'd gone into the promised land to help fight, they wanted to stay on the other side of the Jordan. And it was interesting, all the tribes that didn't go on to take possession of the land were in time taken over by the very tribes they were told to destroy. Isn't it interesting? We are always called to go forward, to progress. The Bible says we're called to change from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory. And if you're married, look to your partner beside you and say, Amen to that. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> we are called to change, aren't we? From glory to glory, with ever-increasing glory. So this morning, if you are in any way in a rut, you sense you've been in this small room for a while and you just need a new experience of God, all you've got to do is reach out to Jesus. Jesus wants you to experience him more. That's his heart. It's like me when I used to watch my children play soccer. I loved seeing him play in the junior grade and then going to this higher grade and then representing this. You know, we always want the best for our children, don't we? Best for our children, maybe in career or job, health, whatever it might be. God's heart for us. And as I started this morning, how you think about God is the most important thing about you. Knowing and starting to allow him to show you how he actually thinks about you. That he's seen you in the room you've been in for a while the experience you've had of him, 
Even the great time you've had in, in that room, there was nothing wrong with that room, but there's always more. There's always more to Jesus. That's why I love the adventure of following Jesus. There's always more, and who knows what that might be. Their rooms were filled with rare and beautiful treasure. Notice they're not just rooms, but they're filled with rare and beautiful treasure. You know, the Bible says that when you get alone with Jesus and shut the door and don't do it in public, but he sees your heart wanting to know him, it says he'll reward you. When I saw that word first, I thought, that's a good word, reward. I've always liked rewards. What is it? The reward is his presence. In his presence is what? Fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Can you see if you're not walking in the joy of the Lord, maybe that's a, a door he wants you to open up into this morning. Maybe you've been just thinking about negative things for too long. Maybe thinking about yourself too much. Start to think about him. Start to think about others. You know, when I started this work, working with kids with disability, I did it in part because um, no one else would employ me. No, wasn't it? I did it in part because I love working with children. But also, um, when I started, at first it was a job, and partly it's because I liked working with children. But the more I started to do it, the more I started to see that God wanted to use me in ministering to children with disability. And uh, that's like a room he had to open up to me to see these children's hearts. You know, we've got children with, I won't go into some of the stuff that they've experienced. And uh, seeing a child who just likes sitting on your bed, or not your your bed, but his bed in his room, looking at the ocean, just enjoying the view and and enjoying the beach. And that was like the best day of his life. You know, I remember taking one of these children to McDonald's. He couldn't choose what food he was having. He said, you choose. I, I, I just get what I'm given. He couldn't choose breaks your heart. And over the weeks we had him, he now likes to choose. He's a little guts, actually. He chooses too much sometimes. But um, I shouldn't have opened that door to him, should I? But anyway. But, uh, and he's sitting there watching the movie with big popcorn and his drink and all of that. Big smile on his face. And they just love it. And uh, anyway, there's doors that God is constantly opening. Experiences of him. How we see people. How we see life. I used to wonder why Steve cries all the time, and then I got involved in ministering to people more and more, and I'm crying all the time now. Uh, You can't help it because it just breaks your heart when you see what's going on with people and children in society. There's so many rooms he wants to fill with rare and beautiful treasure. The treasure is him, and it never stops that experience I had at Cradle Mountain. He didn't just give me that, okay, you've had your experience of him, that's it till heaven. There's always more. Rooms, plural, are filled with rare and beautiful treasure treasures. And I'd encourage you this morning, open yourself up. We're going to worship in a minute and pray. Open yourself up to God. Say, God, yes, I've been in this rut. I've been in this one room for a while. I've experienced you in different ways, but I want more. Thank you. There's always more. More of you. Paul used to pray, less of me and more of him, that I might die to self and live for Christ. And it's only by doing that we experience him more and more. And I felt on my heart this morning too, if you're here and you've never Given your life to Jesus. You know, Jesus, it says in Revelation, standing at the door knocking. And you've been hearing about Jesus this morning, about how he died for you, he shed his blood for you. And the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw into eternity that you'd be sitting here today, whether you know him or you don't know him. He saw you in eternity and his heart went out towards you. See, when he died, he wasn't so limited. He only died for those around him. He died for humanity. And he shed his blood for you and I. And the Bible says the God of this age, God small g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see or acknowledge God. Do you notice the downward trajectory with the devil? 
Steal, kill, destroy. That's his heart. It's always a downward trajectory. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Full. There's always more of him. Be continually filled with the Spirit. It's like he wants the lights to come on. When I sat in that club, I won't say how many years ago, a long time ago, in the darkness, in the smoke, in the environment of what it was, nothing that great or positive, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Michael, you don't belong here anymore. And the Spirit of God led me out of that. The Holy Spirit this morning wants to lead you out of where you're at, whether you, if you don't know Jesus, and lead you into relationship with him. So you can know the wonder of knowing Christ, the wonder of knowing you're forgiven, the joy of knowing you're a son, the joy of knowing there's eternity, the joy of knowing although there's a hell, I'm headed to heaven. The joy of knowing although I go through the stuff of life and I might be anxious and I might get depressed at times and I might struggle, the word of God and the spirit of God and Christ who is with me, who will never leave me or forsake me, will help take me through that stuff into victory. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's why the the gospel is good news. It doesn't get better, does it? The Bible actually says that the will of God is good, pleasing and perfect. You will never get a better offer than that. I've seen what the world has to offer. I've seen the pain, the drug addiction, the hopelessness, the abuse of children. I've seen what the enemy has for humanity. And it just heightens my love for Jesus even more as I see what he's done for us. Christ and what he's done on the cross 2,000 years ago. As the musicians come, let's pray. you just close your eyes and bow your heads just helps us to stay focused if you don't know Jesus this morning he died for you 2,000 years ago and he lives forever and his desire is that none would perish that all would come to know him all would come to repentance that we would turn from old ways and live for him that we'd acknowledge that his shed blood was shed for us his pure blood of a sinless Christ was shed for me was shed for you that we could come into this new and living way prepared for us if you don't know Jesus this morning he's calling on you it's why even through the meeting you started to feel a restlessness a stirring you started to feel uncomfortableness That's just him wooing you. That's him calling you. That's him wanting to love on you and lead you into salvation. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't know Jesus this morning, just lift your hand and acknowledge, I'd like to know Jesus this morning. If you don't know him this morning and you sense him calling you to come to him, Just lift your hand. He's waiting for you.
thank you for your love for us, Jesus. Thank you, you've called us out of darkness into your glorious light. And the Bible says, in his light we see light. We see him more fully. We've been changed until one day we'll be changed as he fully desires us to be changed. all the rest of us this morning I did a one thing on my heart I felt the story I shared about the guy who felt he was a second-class citizen what he hadn't understood is this that when Jesus saves you and you give your life to him he declares you righteous he declares you righteous it's called imputed righteousness and then we're called to live righteously and sometimes we don't always live righteously do we we don't always live righteously and then the enemy comes in and condemns us where we don't live righteously and says, see, you're not even a Christian. How can you be a Christian? You don't even live righteously. But the devil forgets that we are called righteous. We are declared righteous. And that is based not on anything I've done. It's based on what Jesus has done. And if you've been struggling with condemnation this morning, struggling with how the enemy makes you feel, Jesus wants you to remind yourself today that you are filled with the righteousness of Christ. You are declared righteous. When the Father looks at you, He sees Jesus in you. Amen. The hope of glory. You don't have to live in condemnation. You don't have to live on the words that other people have said or what the devil has said about you or tried to make you think or feel. We can live in the understanding that we are children of God, called of God, righteous of God. And the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. The enemy has tried to undermine the church by making Christians think they're not good. They're not worthy. None of us are, but Jesus is and he lives in you. And it's good news. Amen. Yeah. If you've been coming under condemnation, I'm going to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, thank you. If anyone here has been struggling with condemnation, I thank you, Father. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are righteous. If you struggled, say now, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Just declare it this morning. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. I'm righteous in Christ. All of Him and nothing of me. I'm not going to live in condemnation anymore. Thank you for this kingdom relationship where you show me the truth and we live in truth. Just one more prayer, then we're going to worship just one song you sense this morning you've been in a rut you know if you have or not and the enemy is even trying to condemn you for that if you know you've been in a rut you've been stale you've been inside the same room for a while there's a whole palace to explore and his name is Jesus a whole kingdom to explore kingdom of God the kingdom of God is within you right now just pray to the Lord Lord I want to experience you afresh I want to live for you afresh. I want to come out of my rut, my staleness, and I want to live for you and be excited for you again. I want to experience you afresh, Jesus. And as I'm filled with you, my life might overflow to this dark, sin-soaked world that doesn't know you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Let's sing this one song and press into Him this morning.